In episode 41, we talked all about a diet that gets a lot of stage time, intermittent fasting. Now, we want to explore the research to see if this approach has any benefits for performance. And we're answering your remaining questions about intermittent fasting. So sit back and relax. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. All right, Caitlin. So you've been awake since three in the morning. (laughs) Not for fun, not for insomnia, but yeah, because planes, planes, planes. (laughs) perfect. And I haven't been awake as long as you, but I do feel particularly, uh, I feel a little tired too. Uh, Punchy. Punchy. (laughs) Yeah. And part of that is because I went on like an accidentally very epic uh, road trip through Wyoming last week, and I still feel like I'm recovering, but um, I went to Yellowstone for the (gasps) first time. How was that? (gasps) Oh my God. It was so cool. Okay. Like I saw a lot of cool animals. I definitely have fully entered my birding phase. I like have a note (laughs) in my phone. I have a bird app. You 30s young, Lauren. Yeah, I did. But I was (laughs) like, um, birds are really fun. But I literally like I woke up in the morning to my friend being like, oh my God, the great gray owls are back. And I was like, what? What the hell is this? And he was like, the great gray owls are the rarest animal I've seen here all summer. And I'm just like, excuse me. And so we got to see this like dope ass big owls. They're um, huge. They are huge. the one that say like, who cooks for you? Or is that oh. the great, great horned owls? Maybe that's the great horned owl. But anyways, that was really anyway. cool. But another thing I saw, I saw a shit ton of bison. Bison are like a dime a dozen. They're so oh. big. Yes, they yes. are. <laughs> okay, so bison. What are what are some other things people refer to bison as? What do they call them? Buffalo? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that there actually are none buffalo in North America? You know, I did wonder that. <laughs> yeah, there are no buffalo. And I did not realize that. So I don't know how I got onto this, but I was like, wait, bison and buffalo are not the same thing. They're two totally different things. Buffalo are like the ones with like the really big crazy horns that kind of look yeah. like a bad middle part. Um, like I think of like water buffalo in water Africa. Buffalo. Correct. Yes. Those are buffalo. So does this make you think of any um, U.S. cities? Make you wonder um, anything? Buffalo, New York with lots yeah. of snow. <laughs> yeah. And buffalo wings. And so like what the fuck is up? Because first of all, there's no bison over there. So, like, how did we get to, like, even if you were mistakenly calling the bison buffalo, how did we even get there? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, how is that the name? Okay. Well, I obviously needed answers. So, I did some digging. (laughs) Obviously, I was like, this makes no fucking sense. Um, Okay. So, the answer is maybe this. Um, When the French, French settlers were settling around Buffalo or whatever, there's, like, a river. um, And they called the river... Beau Fleuve, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. <laughs> Beau Fleuve, which means beautiful river. Um, and I don't speak French, so like, pardon that for any of my French-speaking audience. <laughs> my accent's horrible, but whatever. And so they fit. The theory is that the you know English settlers were like, oh, they're saying buffalo. We'll call it buffalo. But w- and that's it. Where'd they see buffalo? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, they just thought they mis they were mispronouncing Beau Fleuve. Oh my god. And so that is how people think. They just thought the French were saying Buffalo, not Beautiful River in French. And that's how we got there. What could have been? (laughs) I know. Wild. And then I didn't even get to looking at how we got to Buffalo Wings. Um, That's for another fun fact. (laughs) That's for another time. I didn't get that far down the rabbit hole, but I was like, wow, we've wandered very far from there's no Buffalo in North America. So there you have it. Wow. Uh, I really like Buffalo, New York. Yeah. (laughs) This roundabout way you got here is pretty much what happens in my brain as well. So yeah. Love to see Which it. Which is great. Glad that, our, <laughs> glad that our brains are so squirrely uh, for, for this episode we're about to doing. This might be the most research papers we've cited in an episode. Perhaps. The last one was pretty heavy duty too. Yeah, that one. Like, these are up here. Well. <laughs> yeah, this is... This intermittent is fasting is a big good. topic. We want to cite our sources. So here we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, perfect. Okay, so there is the fun fact. Um... We actually don't have a new review to read this week, uh, listener, which means you guys need to get on it. So please, you want your sticker. please we, we want reviews to read on the podcast, and we want you to submit them so that we can give you a sticker. Um, but also, before we get into that, um, let's introduce ourselves. Hello, I'm Lauren. I'm a climbing coach and personal trainer, um, and I'm here with my friend who's been awake for a very long time. <laughs> no one else can see me on the screen but i i look disheveled <laughs> i'm a uh, caitlin i'm a certified nutrition specialist who is not normally this disheveled so yeah caitlin's we are. hair usually looks perfect and i'm not <laughs> listen caitlin's hair is always cute but she she does look tired uh, yeah i which is i perfect. sure do Sure yeah, do. it's perfect because some of you guys with the questions that you all submitted about this topic, you sound tired too. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're going to get there. Um, okay. Amazing. So hello, you're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. Today we're doing intermittent fasting part two. A um, couple reminders before we get into it. As I said before, please leave us reviews. You just go to the Apple podcast page and then you hit the number of stars and then you just write something about the podcast and hit submit one sentence is great it helps us out and you might have your review featured on the podcast and then you might get some stickers and isn't that fun um also <laughs> caitlin and i each own our own businesses if you didn't know that um so caitlin do you want to tell people where they can find you and your business yes you can find me over at my website caitlinholmes.com or you can head to my instagram at Dirtbag Nutritionist for shenanigans, information, lots of info. But that there you have it. There you, that's <laughs> where it. Be, where can people <laughs> find you, Lauren? Uh, let's see. You can find me on my website, goodsprayclimbing.com. You can also find me on Instagram at goodsprayCoaching. I would say the most fun, my feed is good. I put effort into it. But the most fun place it's hard to not connect to. with me on Instagram <laughs> It, it really is. You should get in my broadcast channel. It's fun. That's where I do like special Q and A's for like the special of you that actually want to like learn from me. Uh, you really want to learn? Get in my broadcast channel. It's a good time. Um, another good place to connect with me. Get on my email list. Every week, I take an audience member's training plan and I give it a little makeover and I make like a little video explaining what I changed and why. And I usually teach on like one little topic each week. And it's really fun. I would say that's like. 
that's one of my proudest things that I put out. It's very, uh, very actionable, very practical, um, very well rounded. I get a nice email every week, at least about people enjoying it. So you should do that. Um, all the links to all that in the show notes. Um, yeah. And then I'm a coach so you can work with me and stuff, which is cool. Okay. So that's us. This is the podcast. You now know how Buffalo, New York got its name, which was important and you didn't even know it. Um, and now you're going to know what's a bison and what's Buffalo. And you're also at the end of this episode, you're going to know how intermittent fasting could impact you as an athlete. Um, so today we're definitely taking part one where we just talked about intermittent fasting in general. And then this, this episode is very much about like impacts it has on athletic performance and other factors of being an athlete. And additionally, um, we asked you all to give us your questions on the old Instagram um, you gave us your questions and we're going to answer. Caitlin's going to answer those. I probably won't answer them. Maybe I will if it really is something that is in my wheelhouse. But Caitlin's really going to be running the show here on the Q&A because she is much more qualified than I am um, to be doing that. <laughs> uh, so, OK, Caitlin, should we get into some of our topics, our topics of athleticism around intermittent fasting today? Let's do it. I, I really want to dig into some of these studies. So yeah, this is I'm good. excited. I'm pumped. Okay, so I put on my research captain hat um, and I was like, I need answers. How is this? So the first question I had, so we're going to look at a couple of things today. First thing we're going to look at is how this impacts athletic performance in general. Unfortunately, I did not find a study about rock climbers so we're working, we're rocking some One cyclist does studies. Not exist. Yeah, that, I don't I'm climbing, sure Caitlin has looked harder than I have. Um well, this is my day job. So yeah, yeah. this is true. Yeah. But um climbers have very few studies that have been done on them, and we're just at the like Yeah, in know, the grand scheme of, of things. Cyclists, much easier. It's like, here's a bike. Climbers, it's like, how do we standardize a rock wall? Um, <laughs> right, like a tread a wall in like a closed room. Yeah, <laughs> that's like a little bit harder to study. So it's fine. Um, but climbers, less studies overall. So the first, so the first question that we're going to dig into right now is how does intermittent fasting impact performance? Um, and so the next two studies I'm going to discuss um, involve cycling and rowing, which I know we're not rock climbing, but they do have measurables and tangibles. And I think that's cool. So the first one we're going to look at is from Clayton et al. And it's titled Effect of Breakfast Omission on Energy Intake and Evening Exercise Performance. Um, and essentially what happened, this is great. So essentially they took 10 male habitual breakfast eaters is how they describe it Which in the so study. Funny. <laughs> I know. I love that. They're like, we took some breakfast lovers. We took the guys like Ron Swanson that like go to the diner and they're like <laughs> all of the eggs. I don't know. I don't actually know that. That is me making things up. That is not what the study <laughs> says. It does not say that the participants were akin to Ron Swanson in that one diner episode. Um, okay. <laughs> so basically they, they broke it up. They broke those these men up into two groups, right? So we've got a group that is going to eat breakfast and a group that omits breakfast. Um, and essentially, what they found, um, Caitlin, you said you've you've gone, you've read this study, like you've dug into this one a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
I yeah. think I've read most of these actually, which oh, perfect. is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, I'm going to find you some new studies, Caitlin. And Caitlin's like, read this, read this, know this. And I'm like, well, okay. I think the topic with intermittent fasting and athletes for me is so important because I don't think it, it's been something that I've been a hater on for a long time. So yeah. I think it's helpful for me to see studies and be able to look at them with neutrality. So I've been trying to look at these more. I just took a yeah. class for my continuing Love education it. credits on intermittent fasting. And I found a lot of the, the studies in the last decade to be interesting and mm. illuminating. So. Yeah. So the big takeaways from this study, so we've got no breakfast allowed, breakfast allowed. So the no breakfast allowed group, this is what happens. So basically they like start their day, whatever. And then in the evening they go in and do, did a 30 minute cycling performance test that evening. Um, okay. So the no breakfast allowed group, they ended up eating more during lunch and they performed worse during the 30 minute performance test that evening versus the breakfast permitted. Um, they did better and they also didn't eat as much at lunch. So Caitlin, what are your thoughts, comments, concerns, etc., about yeah. this study in particular? Well, what I think is really interesting about these results is that when you like, let's say for example, you start your day at 8 a.m. with breakfast and then you have a lunch later in the day and they're largely the same amount of calories, maybe a little different. But that's probably spread out over those two meals more calories, more energy than if you were to just have this bigger lunch. Mm -hmm. So like in theory, you would be able to digest your food in time, but you would all have already had more energy earlier in the day than yeah. sustained energy. Whereas in this situation, you are probably depleting your glycogen stores. And so by the time you would get to lunch, your glycogen stores may have been used up. That's your body's uh, mm -hmm. usable source of carbohydrates that it can break down from your liver and muscle. And um, when you get to this lunchtime, if that's your first meal of the day, you're just replacing and replenishing what you've lost. You're not building up your body to support you for that later afternoon, early evening exercise. That's kind of my takeaway from it. So it's not it's not yeah, like the most I mean, surprising it, thing. It doesn't really surprise me either. Um, yeah. Also, I do want to say it is actually not two different groups in the group of 10. It's like the same 10 dudes and then during some of the testing, they were no breakfast allowed and then other testing breakfast allowed. Um, so I also think like, I guess like holes in this, like if we wanted to talk about maybe like what, you know, we're not saying that like, if you don't eat breakfast, your session will for sure suck. Um, at the end of the day, this is just one step right. of yeah. 10 people, 10 right? dudes, that's it. 10 that's not dudes. <laughs> like that's not a lot. Right. Um, but I do think it is kind of, interesting and like from a nutrition perspective and what I know about the way Caitlin like just communicates how we should nutrition um this doesn't <laughs> necessarily surprise me I was like that makes sense like I could kind of maybe see that coming from a mile away um I also think it would be interesting if they did this with people that weren't habitual breakfast eaters 
because um, they like did say that it's like people that usually eat breakfast. So perhaps, you know, right. the change in routine was just like not Yeah, good. they didn't really talk about like how long. Like, they, like they didn't give them like a sort of like adaptation period yeah like a ramp up period where it's like yeah because i read like another i forget which which study it was i think it's in here somewhere and we'll talk about it but i read like one study or just something where it was like people usually kind of get used to things after like seven to ten days like dietary change would you agree with that like that seems like a general statement yeah doesn't i usually give two weeks where i'm like give yourself about two weeks time frame because there there will be, I think, especially with fasting, that's not something that your body is adapted to right away. So like it's going to be uncomfortable. So if they're adapting to this new thing, like in the moment while also going through timed trials for performance, like it's kind of no surprise that they didn't perform as well. It's, it's yeah, kind of a it's weird Yeah, it's not what study. they're like used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like the conclusions of the study say breakfast omission might be an effective means of reducing daily energy intake, but may imp- impair performance later that day, even after consuming lunch, um, which I do think is interesting that it's like keeping your yeah. energy levels stable throughout the day can still impact your performance later on. But yeah, I don't know if we have like enough information here to be like, yep, case closed. Intermittent fasting, bad for athletes. Like, I don't... <laughs> right. You know, I well, think it's, like, an interesting This thing, is also but. kind of annoying, too, because, like, yeah, you omit breakfast, and it's an effective means of reducing energy. But, again, if you're an athlete, I don't think you necessarily want to reduce energy intake the same. <laughs> so, right. It's like, it's, what was the goal? You're an athlete. Did you want to do well or just, like, eat less? Like, you don't get a gold star for being, like... Did pretty okay despite having not enough food. <laughs> right. Like, like your goals. You get a gold medal point. for doing the best. Yeah. <laughs> like, like your your goals are at odds. Like they're in a, in disagreement directly. So it's like, yeah. well, Sweet. maybe not the best. But yeah, I think you've got some better studies up here. Because that one's interesting. But yeah. I feel like there's just, it, it almost to me was like, what's what's the point? And they have a lot of information in this particular study. Mm-hmm. Like if you dig in deeper, it, it is an interesting one to go through um, just for yeah. like the background studies, but it's still kind of like a head scratcher. Like, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So another one we're switching, we're flipping to rowing now. Um, another, another study with N equals 10, but this time we have eight females and two males um, that are like, Around 19 to 23-ish, um, or age 21 with a plus or minus two standard deviation, um, but that's whatever. <laughs> so, so that's a fancy way of saying that. Um, okay, so so there was basically similar thing, breakfast versus no breakfast, um, and then a 2,000-meter row time trial later on in the evening. Um, and what they concluded from this study was that the omission of a carbohydrate rich breakfast impaired evening performance during a 2000 meter rowing time trial. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of like similar finding here, not eating breakfast made people perform worse. Um, even in the evening after like they were able to eat lunch. So yeah. I'm giving, I'm trying to think of like a good way to describe this and what I'm, what my point is, if you were to say, okay, still have breakfast, still have lunch, but instead of training at 5 p.m., now train at 9 p.m. 
Mm. That's kind of like for me what's going on where you're extending your nutrition Mm-hmm. like in a way that is not productive or being utilized for you in exercise. So like the further away you get from these chunks of time or like the more you change up your routine, it's like not only is that going to take your body a while to get used to, but it's also just not that productive. Like it it makes yeah. sense that there's no benefit to performance and in fact worse performance so it's kind of yeah (laughs) it doesn't seem yeah this one was like okay kind of small sample size like yada yada um also the time so 16 30 and 18 in military time is when they did their um is when they did their time trial like it was like individual time trials um so that is 4 30 and six o'clock for those that can't do military time. Um, so yeah, there was like early evening. So it wasn't like they were waiting super long. So it was like basically for the non-breakfast eaters, they were they could start eating after noon. So they fasted until noon. They could eat whatever. And then their time trial uh, was between 4.30 and six o'clock that evening. Um, so yeah, yeah but like they you- just kind of had... But I think it kind of like was what you said, where it's like they went in with just like, you know, however many hours of like no restoring like glucose levels. Yeah. Well, actually, here's a better example. This would be similar if you if you were to go and train like immediately after a big breakfast, you're just not going to train as well. You came back from an overnight fast, which is like Mm. you're sleeping. Then you eat a big breakfast. Your body doesn't have enough time to absorb those nutrients and then turn Mm. it into usable energy. But also you're replenishing those stores. So it's like you're not only going in with low energy, you're slowing down your body's process to (laughs) absorb and digest. And you're not supporting recovery because – that glycogen resynthesis, like glycogen storage is so critical and important. So it's like you're not really benefiting your performance at all because you're not Mm -hmm. optimizing your fueling strategy, which like if that's not your goal, fine. Yeah. But again, this study also looked at like reducing daily energy intake. Like, yeah, it's effective, but why why (laughs) yeah i think this is i know in our last episode we kind of talked about like oh if you were gonna train in the morning and fast like that would really suck but i think this episode kind of calls out that even if you like are training in the evening and have plenty of time to eat quote unquote plenty of time to eat during the day like it still maybe would have like a negative impact on your performance um if you are training like later on in the evening just in general so i think that is like kind of interesting and these acute things and obviously like these studies aren't perfect and they're not like huge but i do think you know it calls into question some of this rhetoric around like intermittent fasting being so good for you that it'll make you like <laughs> superhuman or whatever well, um because like in what context do you hear about this most lauren i'm actually curious like outside of sports i feel like i hear about it in terms of like optimizing your health um right and like clearing out 
just like shit like detoxifying and clearing out waste and like (laughs) reducing energy intake and like weight management and like stuff like that you know that's like usually where I hear intermittent fasting um yeah so that's where I hear about it most too and I feel the same way about that as I do when people talk about like sodium and cholesterol. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, have it have it in in your mind sort of, but also you're not a sedentary middle-aged person. So, yeah, this like information may not really be relevant for you. Keyword and if you are a middle-aged person but you're like a rock climber. And I coach plenty of people in their late yeah. 30s and 40s that are like I do 11 sports a week. And I'm like, what if you took a rest day? So you all (laughs) exist. (laughs) You are there. You don't automatically, you know, just get to be like, oh, well, I'm such and such age. So that means that I like don't need to eat enough. But I'm like, I don't know. Some of y'all are really active. Well, actually, a little quick tidbit there. Because when you get older, your body is not as good as absorbing nutrients. So you kind of need to be more intentional you need to know yeah where you're getting especially your with nutrients. protein right like we've talked about this protein, before but you end up like needing more protein yeah oh, your, damn protein and micronutrients especially are pretty critical <laughs> those and, are important <laughs> who needs those <laughs> who cares but yeah yeah i think it's just like it's one of those things where you kind of look at the examples they're giving and like what their goal is and if your goal mm. like they're studying a, they're studying this within a population while really only looking at performance and mm-hmm. weight loss. And it's like, well, yeah, duh. If you, if you were really trying to look for performance, you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be suggesting a lower calorie consumption. Like, yeah, it about, almost is yeah. weird that they even like bring that up. Like, it's kind of just like, like the, the first paper we brought up where I'm like, why'd you even add that? I mean, I guess the whole point yeah. was like, the only thing that's different is you're reducing one helps you reduce calories. Cool. The other one where you eat breakfast makes you perform better in your training. So, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, like weird. Uh, and yeah, it does feel like a little weird that they mentioned it. I don't know. Okay. I want to, I know I'm like skipping around a little bit, but I actually feel like now is a good time to bring up the, um, the study that you, leaned into heavily oh, in your body yeah. comp pro course so i'm like i feel like we should just do this now um we yep. should talk about it i actually so, think this is a really good time and i will just say that i like what they did in this study i know you're going to talk about it but i yeah i like it because of very specific things with what they did to look at so anyway carry okay. on <laughs> okay so this study caitlin feel free to jump in as well i'm just gonna like give the Give the high-level overview, but this study is titled Time-Restricted Eating Effects on Performance, Immune Function, and Body Composition in Elite Cyclists, a Randomized Controlled Trial. <laughs> um, and this is by Moro et al. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of PhDs on this one. So, <laughs> okay. So, essentially, what this study was kind of trying to do is look at... What they looked at was performance and also changes in body composition um, in these elite cyclists um, during four weeks of high-level endurance training. So there were 16 cyclists in this study. There were 20, uh, they were all under the age of 23. Um, So they were either in a time-restricted eating group, so an intermittent fasting group, or a control group that was not intermittent 
fasting. Um, and basically what this study showed, um, and I'll just kind of like skip to the conclusions and Caitlin, we can dig into the details later. But what this study showed was that the time-restricted eating group um, showed uh, weight loss. Um, and this resulted in technically an increase in like power to weight ratio of these cyclists, which I suppose is good for cyclists, but also good with an asterisk um, on it, which I want to discuss with Caitlin. Um, and it also showed that time-restricted eating could be beneficial for reducing inflammation um, and may have a protective effect on some components of the immune system. Um, and what they kind of concluded was that time-restricted eating could be considered as a component of a periodized nutrition plan in endurance athletes. So, Caitlin, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about this study. Um, just because I feel like the, like, my takeaway from just, like, uh, looking at this is that I think it is weird that the only thing that they kind of, like, mention in the conclusions that's improved is, like, better body composition, therefore better power to weight ratio, but then they, like, don't talk about any other performance benefits, um, and I thought that was really bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it seems like improved immune function and inflammation reduction, like, does seem good, I'm sure, for, like, recovery. And that seems cool. But I don't – I do think it's weird that they don't talk about, like, their training outcomes. Like, obviously, if you're in a training cycle, like, they're recording things and all this stuff. And, like, I would, you know, be – interested to know and maybe this is like somewhere and I just like didn't find it but I would be interested to know like was their performance better did they make more gains from their training too or was it just this like very body composition specific metric that they said improved and therefore that should just make all your cycling better because like I don't know so yeah I'm curious to hear your thoughts on yeah. this. yeah <laughs> well, so looking at this paper I this is actually when we're talking about maybe in favor, like I think the last two for me are like against <laughs> intermittent fasting for athletes. And then in favor is this study. I think this is a really good example of how and why people could use intermittent fasting if you're an athletic person for two mm -hmm. big reasons. Yeah. One, it was only four weeks. It was super, super, super short. And I think this is good to note because when people go through and try intermittent fasting, they think, oh, this is for me every day for the life rest of my choice. life. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it doesn't have to be that way. The point mm -hmm. of intermittent fasting is that it's incredibly flexible and you can choose what works best for you. Like some people will fast one day a week, one day a month. Some people will fast every other day. Some people will do like the least restrictive time frame where they will fast for 12 hours and then have a, an eating window for 12 hours. So it's like, it doesn't have to be that restricted or intense or forever. It can be over short time periods. The other thing that I really, really love about this study is that they had a time restricted eating, not calorie restricted eating. Mm, so yeah, yeah. That's a good point too calories were their normal calories spread out in this eight hour eating window. So I think for me, whereas the other studies were showing with restriction, not just time restricted in the fast, but also trying to 
not eat as much. I think this study is a really good example of how you can still find a benefit if you're like with these goals in mind, um, if you do it over shorter periods of time and without restricting calories. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also I do want to note too, just because we were like talking a lot about the timing of stuff. Um, I like that this study is actually long. I think that is nice because I think the other two studies were just like one and done sort of thing. Like they were not mm-hmm. done over a period and kind of like what we talked about where it's like, well, maybe if these people like adjusted to the, right. you know, intermittent fasting schedule, it would have been better. Also, their training took place during the eating window. Um, too. Right. So it's- I think that's key. Um, yeah, because if you were like doing your training and then you just got to go to bed starving and wait until noon, <laughs> yeah, eat, like, that would be like pretty not good. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you think so? What's your? I mean, I still like wish we had more information about like the out. Well, as a coach, I'm just like about the performance and like the outcomes right. of their training. Like, I wish we had that, but I do think mm-hmm. like if you, I'm sure with competitive cycling, like yeah, every you know, that is probably an area where like every little, you know, like if you're at that level, like, yeah, little like tiny points on your body composition when you're like at an elite level and you need to like temporarily, like, you know, seasonally adjust your body composition. This seems like a cool way to do it. Um, maybe where it's like, you still get to have sufficient calories. Um, and it's simple. I mean, I like that this really does show like, Hey, you can eat your calories in this window and if Mm -hmm. that makes you feel good and it works for you because not everyone will benefit from fasting or not everyone will have a good time fasting I'll say that so yeah but in this situation I think it's cool to see that their goals were met when they had Mm -hmm. this narrow time restricted window of eating without calorie restriction because I think with having not only training in this time frame, but also having enough energy divided in this time is kind of a good way to go about it. But also it's incredibly hard to study performance, I think, because, you know, people aren't necessarily doing these controlled performance trials mm-hmm. when they're faster. Yeah. It can be really hard to study that. I've seen other studies. There was one on runners who were fasting. I, yeah, the study was a little alarming and maybe that's why they don't do this, but it was like runners fasting during marathons. (laughs) And I'll see if I can find this. I remember (laughs) reading this in grad school and I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. I was like, this should be like an ethics issue. But anyway, yeah, I think it's, it, it is because it is so hard to study this, you know, maybe it's not about, looking at like your peak power, your mm-hmm. like gri- they do grip strength sometimes as a test or like yeah um time to fatigue um or things like that. I think yeah. it's like those are important metrics, but I think in this study specifically, I like that they showed improvements of this like strength and power. Mm-hmm. Um because with intermittent fasting the way that intermittent fasting affects lean muscle is pretty unclear overall. Like I don't think the studies and research have really helped us understand that yet, but there are some studies that show this loss of lean muscle with intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. Others show 
that you can keep up with your normal levels with resistance training. Some show you lose fat tissue, but not muscle mass. So yeah. I feel like it's like maybe there's some sort of like maintenance or preservation effect. Studies yeah. are really, really short, so it's hard to tell. But also mm-hmm. I think it depends on the overall diet that athletes are prescribed during this this window. Yeah. So I think I want to pull out like one quick quote from this and then I want to ask you a question about yeah. it. So one thing, speaking of performance, so in the conclusions it says like our results suggest that the 16-8 time-restricted eating protocol could be beneficial in elite endurance athletes to improve body composition and inflammatory markers without affecting aerobic performance. So it almost feels like this article wasn't trying to be like intermittent fasting makes you bike better. It's more just like if you need to like do some, you know, preseason body composition shifts before you get into your like performance season at an elite level for a cyclist, this is a decent way to do it without it impacting your performance, which is probably cool because like, mm-hmm. I think Caitlin, you said this before where it's like, if you're trying to like change your body composition and train hard at the same time that's kind of like a lot to balance so i think what this study is really trying to say is that like maybe we found a way where you can do this without having to like necessarily sacrifice the quality of your training but again this is elite athletes that are endurance athletes Mm -hmm. and they also you know get to have a schedule where they can eat between noon and 8 p.m and oh by the (sighs) way their training is during that time like they do not have a nine to five that they have to like their whole job is that is their (laughs) job like that is their job that is their day right so I think it's like different Caitlin if you were so if you're like a common rock climber like trying to interpret this study um and knowing that climbers aren't necessarily pure endurance athletes, like how would you take this information um, and like leverage it for your like climbing clients? I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. I think this information, here's what I'll say. I Do not look at these studies and say, wow, I could adapt this to climbers because it's not about adapting it to climbers. It's about adapting it to each person. So, yeah, I think saying from like just looking at these studies alone, I'd I'd still be like, well, I don't want to tell everyone like, yeah, it's for climbers. You get a benefit (laughs) because we don't know that like clearly the research is pretty all over the place like if your goal is to improve body comp you might see a benefit here might but it should have a start and an end date shouldn't Mm -hmm. go on forever um and then also if you are like with specifics to let's say like immunity um and anti-inflammation you need some level of inflammation. So the goal here is not to like, you know, make you superhuman. I wish that's how it worked, but alas. (laughs) But like this could be helpful if you have potentially some gut issues um, because the, with the immune system and how integrated it is in the gut and vice versa, there is evidence that with um, intermittent fasting, it can help with your gut and like it kind of gives your gut a break, for example. But again, it's not like I'm not going to look at that and say, oh, well, everyone needs this because everyone has gut issues. Like it's not Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily true. Like there's a lot you can say 
about the benefits of intermittent fasting, but is it for all climbers? I don't think I can say that. And certainly I don't think the research does yet either. No, I, I agree. Um, before we, so we're going to do some Q and A's. Um, and I'm also going to talk about, so we've kind of talked about like athletic performance for endurance athletes. So basically we have information about like cyclists, rowers and strength training. So after the break, we're going to talk about impacts of intermittent fasting on strength training, um, specifically in the lean muscle mass department. And then we're also going to do some Q and A's that you all submitted. So Caitlin, let's go to break and then we'll come back with more intermittent fasting fun. (laughs) Sounds good. You know what movie scenes really spoke to me growing up? The makeover montages. Like Lizzie McGuire going on a shopping spree with her pop star icon twin. Or Caddy Heron's good girl gone bad transformation in Mean Girls. Or, better yet, Anne Hathaway's iconic bangs in The Devil Wears Prada. I actually tried out those bangs in 8th grade. Turns out they don't look so hot when you have a massive cowlick in the middle of your forehead. Anyways, the fact is that I love a good makeover. I like seeing how a few simple tweaks can lead to a stunning before and after. And though I'm no Hollywood fashion guru, I've started a little makeover game of my own. With training plans, of course. Every week, I take an audience member's training plan and offer the adjustments needed to take it from all right to excellent. Inside of the weekly training plan makeover, I take you step-by-step through the how and why behind my recommendations that you can watch in a short, actionable video. The catch. This is only available to those on my email list. So if you want to get the weekly training plan makeover delivered straight to your inbox, or maybe even get a training plan makeover of your own, then make sure to get signed up for the weekly training plan makeover at the link in our show notes. All right, Caitlin, I also looked into the strength training and sort of, you know, the strength, the strength and lean body composition side of the intermittent fasting equation, too, which I think is interesting because I do think it lines up to some degree with the studies that we just discussed. So I'm not going to go into all of these, but so I'm first I'm going to talk about a couple a few studies, like general conclusions from a few studies I found about untrained individuals and then some studies that I found about trained individuals um and like powerlifting athletes so with the untrained individuals a couple different studies i will link to them in the show notes but essentially they found that after initiating a resistance you know at so one study they found that after initiating a resistance program three days a week for eight weeks um some of them intermittent fasting some of them not um so two groups in this trial uh total body composition was not affected um there was like no general effect on the intermittent fasting group versus not so. And muscle cross sectional area was not negatively effective either. Um, so yeah, that's that one. I think that's kind of cool. So yeah, basically like during for the intermittent fasting group and the not, it seems like they just uh, didn't have a huge impact on their gains. Which Were I think they f- fasting every day for this? study period or was it only on resistance training days they were fasting every day um okay yeah and this was actually only a four-hour eating window and 20 hours of fasting which which is kind of wild wild. but it sounds like they still trained in that window 
Yeah, three days a week for eight weeks. I don't know if it's. I don't know if they uh, trained in the fa- in the eating window or mm, not. Okay. In a similar study, um, but this one, okay. So the couple different things. So still an eight week training program. Still, um, a group of that last one was men only. This one is also men only. Um, this one though, the couple differences are it was a sixteen eight eating window. Instead of a, so eight hours for eating instead of just four. Um, And this one was a group of men who were um, trained and not like new to resistance training. Um, And what they found was that they were all consuming like a similar number of calories, the fasting group and the non-fasting group. Um, So essentially what they found was that like the group that was fasting had like lower body fat or like a reduction in body fat mass but they had like very similar uh muscle area of the arm and thigh and maximal strength were maintained as well so So it's kind of like (laughs) yeah so like muscle mass was like same same maximal strength same same uh but then the only big difference was like decreased fat mass for the the intermittent fasting group right so yeah there you have it i mean like it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not totally surprising Yeah, it's either. not like, yeah. It makes it's sense. Not, yeah, that I one, think, I think yeah. that these both, like, kind of make sense. I also think it's interesting that it's for, like, strength training, too. Like, just thinking about, um, you know, like, if you compare uh, resistance training mm-hmm. to, like, the carbohydrate needs of, like, if you're only resistance training versus, like, a like an endurance athlete, like a cyclist or a rower. Mm-hmm. I think to me, this makes sense that like maybe overall less muscle glycogen um, because you're not eating as long doesn't have as big of an impact. Like, yeah, Caitlin, what are your thoughts on that? Kind of comparing the impacts of like just strength athletes or just like strength training versus like the impacts on an endurance athlete. Yeah, I to be honest, it's hard for me to say because, yeah, you know, when we talk about endurance, if it's like low and slow, submaximal, mm-hmm. you don't need as many carbs, but you mm, still need okay. a lot of energy coming in. So, okay, yeah, that makes sense. On the flip side, if you're yeah. performing strength based and resistance based exercises in shorter windows, but it's maximal you need more energy coming in, specifically carbs. So it's like, oh, maybe. Yeah, there's definitely some like. There's a lot of gray area. Like we don't, we don't know the mechanisms here. Like they're, those are really hard to identify. So we don't know if it's from like the inflammation. We don't know if it's because endurance athletes are better adapted to fats but like maybe they're not getting enough during that window because they can't digest their food Mm -hmm. in the right amount of time like it's really challenging to say like what we can glean from these particular studies but I do think it's interesting that you can maintain muscle mass in this situation like I think that's a cool outcome Mm -hmm. of all this yeah because even if your goal is to just like have some of the health benefits or maybe it makes you feel good like it can be kind of nice to know okay I'm not going to lose my muscle if I if I consume enough energy in this time yeah window yeah totally yep 
Um, I'm going to bring up one more study on strength and power athletes, and I think this one's kind of fun. So a 2007 study from Carly et al. looked at Turkish power athletes, um, and it was found that there were no negative impacts on their power output, provided that they got enough energy intake, um, they ate enough food, and slept enough. So they could have, you know, they did fine. I love during. that. <laughs> yeah. So I think like that's important to note. So it's kind of like, I feel like a lot of this lines up with a lot of the things that you say where it's like at the end of the day, getting enough calories is super duper important. Um, and yep. I think it's like cool that some of these like studies are highlighting that honestly, where you're like base level, get enough calories, then worry about your macros. I think you brought this up in like the one of the episodes we just recorded it mm-hmm. like, like it was like get enough calories get actually i love this this is like what i say all the fucking time it's like get enough calories get enough sleep a lot of stuff will work out if you do that and then the rest is maybe like details because that's yeah. kind of what that <laughs> is saying to some degree yeah. not totally but i do think like that's an important takeaway here like y'all when we you say got your foundations yeah right like when caitlin's like no for real get enough calories that's so important like that was not the point of this whole thing, but that is kind of what the research is showing that it's like, if you actually get enough calories during your eating window, things will still hopefully shake out. All right. Okay. Well, I feel like we have um, done like a full on true crime episode where we just like take you down a wandering path of a lot of information <laughs> and then never tell you how it actually ends or what the, what the truth is. Um, but we don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So all you need to know, listener, is that this is still an emerging field in the world of nutrition. And I think for exercise physiology as well. And I don't think we have all the answers because they just have not been studied. But also we have to remember too, that with the nature of how many different sports there are, the bioenergetics of each sport every single person even within climbing right like your exactly. endurance training can look like short spurty things your endurance training can yep. look like i want you staying on the wall for 20 minutes at a time and those are like different right energy needs like yeah yeah so it, it's just it really really depends on so many factors so if you try it and you're like oh i don't know like the study said it works like maybe works how yeah Yeah. there's a lot more to it (laughs) than just like this is good for you it's like good for you in what way because we just examined like effects on body composition effects on muscle mass effects on fat mass effects on your performance later in the evening effects on power output like what is your goal (laughs) like you need to know that like know why like why yeah yeah you just can't draw conclusions from a topic that is really hard to study, but also like there's no perfect study that says exactly what you should do. Like there's, right. there's no that's perfect point. study. There's even like a study for your sport yet. Like yeah, we're having exactly. to like smash shit together for like a 30 minute cycling workout, a 2000 meter timed row. And then like some shit, right. some like adult male weightlifters are doing <laughs> right. Like we mm-hmm. don't have it for climbers um, in the nuances of our sport yet. Right. Um, even yeah. if we had it for like gymnasts, that would be nice, but I didn't find that. So like, no, yeah. Um, 
So, anywho, uh, cool. Well, Caitlin, I think the audience has some Q and A's that I would love to toss over yeah. to you. So, let's rapid fire let's, them. Um, get into it. Um, let's rapid fire them as fast as we can. Um, and that is great. Uh, okay. So, first question from Eric. Eric asks, "Does coffee break a fast? What about if it has creamer?" Coffee does not. Creamer, yes. So the thing to note about fasting is that you need like way more fluids if you're going to be doing it. Mm. And if you have any food at all, so anything that ha- is, I don't want to say calorically dense, but anything mm-hmm. basically with calories or macros, it's going to break your fast. Yeah. Okay, cool. Coffee. Hardly any calories, but you might just feel a little crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Talk about an empty stomach. Bold choice. Yeah. Bold. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. Perfect. Uh, okay. This this question sentiment came from Kasha, and she says, when I fast for a while, I find I lose my hunger cues. I tend to binge or snack during my eating window. Uh, what are your, not really a question, but yeah, Caitlin, do you have thoughts on this? Yes. And we kind of alluded to this earlier, but hunger does adapt to fasting and unfasted Mm, periods. So maybe this individual didn't give themselves enough time to get used to it. Um, But also in your window of eating, you want to make sure you're aiming for balanced energy dense meals, hit all your calories. Like we've hopefully drilled into (laughs) you at this point. If you leave this episode going, (laughs) getting the proper amount of calories every day isn't important. We've failed. Stop Something's listening. wrong. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Failed our job. <laughs> we failed. But also, <laughs> but also, okay, I think too, I want to reframe this a little, a little bit because I think people are like, oh, when I fast, I binge in my eating window. I'm like, okay, well, is your eating window it- four hours? Because it's you're going to have you to are. eat constantly in that time to get enough. So like if snacking helps you achieve eating enough, then maybe that's how to approach it. But I, I think it's okay to kind of give yourself some time to get used to it. Um, but also, if it doesn't if it doesn't work for you and you find the lack of hunger cues to be kind of challenging, again, it's some it's like something to be mindful of. It's not meant to be this like easy, no brainer thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I um I have something I want to say about that, but I'm gonna say it about say about that after uh we read this next question from a listener um i feel like this was good that we asked this because i i'm worried about y'all um i'm concerned yeah. <laughs> we're concerned <laughs> so i appreciate you all reaching out and yes. uh, being vulnerable with us about your fasting journey uh okay so this one is from climb time live and this individual says i am always hungry when i wake up and if i eat dinner early i'm hungry before bed is fasting not for me Probably not. Probably not. Um, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> here's one other thing. <laughs> Lauren's having a giggle fit. Uh, I'm like, well, that sounds okay. awful. <laughs> yeah. No, no one wants to live like that. That's not a matter of adaptation. That's a matter of just, it's not working. But if, okay, two things. If you're feeling hungry first thing in the morning and before bed, that is usually my biggest indicator that someone isn't eating enough throughout the day. So if you are not getting enough and you're like waking up and going to bed hungry, like that's, you're either not getting enough 
to support your needs or you're doing too much. And again, not supporting your needs. So start first before you even consider intermittent fasting. Start with maintenance calories. Hit those before you consider intermittent fasting. That That's sounds what I'll say. smart. Um, yeah, I just want to like also express my support for you all that are like trying these things, like trying different shit, like keto or like, you know, whatever, insert diet here. Cause like, I remember reading this whole ass keto book. Like it got me so like, this seems like it's the way, right? Like, it's just like, feel yeah. like, you know, like, you like whoa, I'm going to or- fly when I do this. <laughs> right. It's like, this is the way, you know, like the kind of books that are like, this is the way humanity was meant to eat. And I'm going to like talk about Right. ancient peoples and make you feel like that what you're doing is like wrong and make that you like, feel like when you're you, trash <laughs> yeah and then like when you do it the right way it's gonna feel great but then you feel like so disillusioned and shitty when you're like following the fucking instructions or whatever this like thing mm-hmm. is and you actually feel like worse and it's right. annoying and it's like making your life hard and it feels frustrating and you're like i thought this was supposed to make me feel great and solve all my problems because that's what the dumb shit book said but actually this is terrible and I liked the way I was eating before. And also because you're going in on it and all of your friends like know you're trying this, they'll ask you how you're doing. And like, maybe you have to like double down and lie. (laughs) Like you're like, no, I think I feel awesome when you don't feel awesome. Um, (laughs) And I just think that like really sucks. Um, So I appreciate you all. Like, I really do appreciate you all being vulnerable with these questions and being like, this is how I feel. And I don't know if I like it. Like, yeah, maybe the answer is that like the thing that wellness culture has convinced you is like what's supposed to be for you is actually like, not good yeah um well it's kind of like yeah it's that one thought where it's like okay you're not supposed to be able to fit into clothes clothes are supposed to fit you it's the same thing where it's like you don't have to follow some arbitrary diet that some guy made um or other person but like you don't have to follow it to a t because chances are if it worked for them it may not work for you and you may need to adapt it. So yeah. I feel like there's just so much there that it's mm-hmm. like, you know, be be open to interpreting it sucking as, hey, this just this isn't is not, for me. This ain't it. Yeah. Right. So cool. Well, that brings us to another good question, which is who is intermittent fasting actually useful for? I love this question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to answer this. I yeah. <laughs> So, okay, here's a very general statement. So before anyone's like, Caitlin said I could do this, don't do not do that. <laughs> Shut the Please fuck don't. up. No. <laughs> <laughs> so many people can try intermittent fasting without significant risk. Some should avoid it completely. But your best approach is to potentially work with a healthcare provider or someone trained in intermittent fasting who might be able to support you and recommend the best approach. Yeah. But because it's not like there are no benefits. Like we've talked about, like there's totally benefits that are well studied, but it's like, are the benefits worth some of like the downsides? Right. In the the complexity in your life. And that's kind of what you have to figure out. Okay, go on. Sorry. So there is some evidence too with, doing intermittent fasting with just a 12 12 so 12 mm. fast 12 eating and Which that's just the least normal. restrictive <laughs> yeah it's just normal life <laughs> but they also have benefits from that so it's like 
some of it need to go (laughs) like full on four hour eating window wumbo no you don't so it just depends but i really want to highlight here who should avoid intermittent fasting because like we said a lot of people can benefit but some people really should not try this approach so a couple things anyone with a history of an eating disorder because if there's any inkling to restrict food, this can mm. be a triggering approach. It's not intended to be a way to lose weight or to restrict calories. And in fact, that's not how I would recommend any athlete do it. Um, body composition is a different story, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're losing weight in this process. So that's what I would say. Um Anyone with an existing medical condition that would make calorie restriction very difficult. Um, So, for example, maybe you need consistent energy coming in. In this situation, your risks would definitely outweigh the benefits. Um, People who are pregnant, there might be nursing, um, trying to become pregnant because this requires more calories eaten more frequently. People who have uh, medications that need to be taken at very specific times then need Mm. to be taken with food, that's obviously very challenging in a time-restricted window. Uh, Children, because, you know. I have to say this. I do, because I've been asked this in three clinics. Three children's climbing parents? Yes. Shut the fuck. They asked about intermittent fasting for kids? Intermittent fasting and keto. Correct. For kids. So, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, parents. I don't know who hurt you. <laughs> that makes you think about how your kids should be doing a weird diet, but, but like, what no, the fuck? It's not great. What, so, the, what the fuck? I'm kind of mad. That's so fucked up. Was this in front of the kids? Mm-hmm. Well, kids Shut asked about the- it, too. Ah! I know. I'm sorry. So, I'm enraged. I need to, like, go yell into a pillow. That's so fucked up. Yeah, imagine my surprise during the Q and A when I what was like, "What did you oh, say?" No. I was like, "Absolutely you like, you not." Need you need therapy. You therapy. You <laughs> all of you go deal with your problems. Like, <laughs> in my mind, one day that's going to be maybe yeah. a challenge. But I think I just try to reiterate in these situations that in order to grow and develop, you absolutely have to have adequate nutrition. This means more structured meals. This means having more, uh, more snacking opportunities, mm-hmm. more, more calories in general, and more opportunities for micronutrients. So I'll leave that there. But um, also, I want to just point this out, too, because this is a special consideration because mm-hmm. women tend to have a different response to oh. different fasting types. And this can be based on hormone health, um, especially your underlying baseline hormone health, mm-hmm. um, and possibly where you are in your menstrual cycle. Uh, but again, this research is not something that has really been figured out yet or done. So don't just think, okay, well, I'm going to look up online fasting for menstrual cycles because eating with your <laughs> menstrual cycles also is like largely Everyone's debunked cycles too. Did. Also, yeah. yeah, that that too, that so, part. Oh, we we should won't do open that. Yeah, we that's should. a whole other. 
thing. <laughs> we won't um, open that can of worms. But I would say just be really cautious. Like it's really not for everyone. I think you know yourself best if it's something that you're curious about. Just remember that a lot of the research has not been fully, um, you know, fully elucidated yet. Like we just mm-hmm. don't know. Some stuff does look promising. A lot of it doesn't. So yeah, yeah. Like you probably just have bigger fish to fry. If yeah. Um. Okay. Speaking of now, pivoting to more of like the the actual just like general health side of things, not necessarily the athlete piece. Um, this one is from Dan, who asked a bunch of great, great questions um, that I think we covered in the episode. So thank you, Dan, for your curiosity. We appreciate it. Um, but Dan also asked, is fasting helpful for insulin resistance, especially if you're genetically predisposed to diabetes? So when we talk about the health benefits of fasting, diabetes prevention and support is actually one of the I would say most studied Mm -hmm. areas, um, that and probably cardiovascular health. And in some ways they do go hand in hand, but what's cool about intermittent fasting with the, with respect to diabetes is that it can improve glycemic markers. So things like insulin resistance, um, insulin sensitivity, fasting, blood glucose, beta cell responsiveness. So these are all things that we would look at to understand. Mm -hmm. And this is what a doctor would diagnose someone. They would look at and diagnose someone with diabetes or prediabetes. And the thing that's been studied most and shown actually like significant data points is insulin sensitivity has, um, been shown to be improved most by okay. insulin or excuse me, intermittent fasting. Um, but what I would say is if you're not even pre-diabetes or thinking about it, mm-hmm. just it's best to focus right now on your foundational diet. So before you dive into intermittent fasting, even if it's in your family, it doesn't mean like, oh, I should start it right now as a preventative method. Okay. Your diet, nutrition can do that for you. It's it's your best asset. Okay. And for all the people that are like 20 out there that have never given (laughs) two flying fucks about the word insulin in their (laughs) lives and they're just like eating a cheeseburger and being like, LOL, don't care about this. Um, Can you or other people that just haven't gone there uh, with dorkery yet, can you describe what insulin resistance is and also what insulin sensitivity is and like what the difference is there and how that, yeah. Yeah. So what I'll say first is just that insulin is just a hormone. Um, It's produced in your pancreas and your pancreas produces insulin to help your glucose out of your cells. Um, Okay. Or sorry, get into your cells. So when you, let's say you eat a meal and it has a lot of carbohydrates in it. Your body is going to pump out insulin to help it get into your cells. Okay. So insulin resistance would be something like, uh, your cells can't get your, how do I want to describe this? It's been a while since I've described insulin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm like, I was like, I need a refresher on this personally. So I'm going to ask Caitlin about it. (laughs) Yeah. When did you learn about this? Uh, probably when I taught myself biology when I didn't like an, 
anatomy maybe or physiology. I didn't even have to take that. I just had to like take freshman year bio. I think I learned a little bit about it in my like course uh, in my like personal trainer certifications. But yeah, oh, I uh, yeah, they my story about freshman about year or my story about biology is that I waited until senior year of college to take it. But I was like, oh, wait, no. I don't want to have any lab courses my last semester because I was trying to like fuck around and go on a lot of ski trips. So I literally like locked Joke's myself in you. a room for six weeks and taught myself a whole ass semester of biology and passed Sweet. with flying colors. Don't know how, how I focused that much. Anyways, oh, that's how Ochem went for me. I love it. That's wild. It's great. I don't okay, remember so- shit about Ochem, but it was fun. <laughs> and you just were doing puzzles. It's jigsaw chemistry. I love it. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So insulin resistance, you want to think of it maybe as your body doesn't respond to that insulin production that's supposed to increase um, after a carbohydrate-containing meal. So okay. your body doesn't get it doesn't absorb the glucose as well and then your body produces more insulin so it's like it's not it's kind of broken it's not doing what it's supposed to okay and insulin sensitivity which is improved by intermittent fasting Mm. is how your cells are responding to this insulin so if your body is taking up glucose as it should be then you have improved insulin sensitivity Okay, so, so insens- insulin sensitivity is a good thing. Yes, yeah. So okay. that's a really good thing. Insulin resistance is not a good thing. But okay. insulin sensitivity being improved is really beneficial. Okay. What is like, okay, just to, so with insulin resistance, like if your body isn't like taking in the glucose as it should, where does the glucose go? <laughs> where where Good is question. it then? <laughs> so have you have you heard about like high blood, blood glucose? glucose? Yes. Yeah. So it can hang around. Um, oh, it goes into your blood. So it would eventually be eliminated, but okay. because your body, it's like this mechanism is broken. It, it's like stunted when your body produces mm. insulin to bring glucose into your cells and then it keeps producing insulin because there's not like nothing's happening the glucose isn't getting into your cells okay so it's like the glucose is supposed to be going the glucose is like a petulant child that's like i'm not going there and your body's like damn it go to the cells (laughs) and the glucose is like no i'm going to the blood exactly (laughs) because also your cells might be saturated so heavily with glucose at that point like maybe there's an underlying issue going on oh okay where like your cells can't handle it. So it's like this reciprocal feedback loop issue where you're not able to take in glucose, but you just have too much. So there's, okay. There's a lot of issues. The insulin is like trying to make shit happen. And then the glucose is like wilding out doing whatever (laughs) it's not supposed to be doing. Um, Okay. Perfect. I get that. Um, But if your body is like insulin sensitive, it listens to its insulin parent and goes where yes. it's supposed to fucking go. Okay, perfect. Exactly. Tangential yes. question because I'm curious about this. Yeah. I had pre my like, you know, as I found out about how fucked up my like gut was essentially. Sorry, guys. We're just taking a quick detour because like I need to understand this. I had 
really high fasting blood glucose. Um, and I know, Caitlin, you don't have like all my shit in front of you, but I had like really high fasting blood glucose, like kind of alarmingly so. Like I remember my doctor saying something along the lines of like, if I didn't know your weight or know like anything about you and I just had this number, like I would assume you were like a very unhealthy individual um, with a lot of other like health problems. Like my blood fasting blood glucose looked bad and my diet wasn't like perfect but I still had like a lot of protein ate a decent amount of vegetables like you I you know like it wasn't as I definitely am better now but like it was still good like do you have any idea why like the H. pylori infection could have potentially like caused something like that I know this is super left field but I'm just like so fucking curious because it was so so bizarre (laughs) um there are also a lot of other things like unbalanced about my gut that like other bacteria that like were in too high of a quantity and things that were in too low of a quantity and just all kinds of jacked up. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly how H. pylori would affect that, but Mm -hmm. it does have an effect on how your body digests and metabolizes food. So maybe there was just like some piece of that process was disrupted, altered, or completely inhibited. I don't know. Like it would, you'd want to look at a root cause because with diabetes and prediabetes, there are often so many root causes. And with fat, I mean, like you don't have to have prediabetes with a high fasting blood glucose. Like there are so many other things that could be happening there. Um, But it is... Yeah, I I actually don't know if there's a connection to that. Yeah, so, it was weird. But it, anyways, it's better now. So whatever, <laughs> it's shit worked out, <laughs> which is good. Um, but yeah, interesting. Or it could just be like the variability in the test. Like maybe fasting blood glucose like can really depend on what you ate like in well, the days leading up. So it depends how recent your last meal was. Mm. It depends on your last meal components. Yeah, and. It, yeah, it can depend on a lot of things, actually. So, that's, yeah. yeah. It, well, that's sorry. Use a that, lot of markers. All right. Putting the cap back on those worms. This, but- this worm needs recap. Sorry. I was just like, <laughs> I need to know. Um, okay. Perfect. We're at our last uh, our last question, which is another one from Kasha. Um, this one, I think, has a quick answer from you, Caitlin. Um, but the, and I can answer this, too. Uh, should you fast on a climbing trip? Ready? No. no. <laughs> um, may, uh, the only like thing I could think of as a coach, and this is Caitlin, feel free to be like, nope, still no. It's like if you are super used to it and you've been doing it for months and you feel good, I would not fuck with it when you go on your trip. Like unless the time of day you're climbing is changing drastically. But like if you're doing good and it feels good and it's what your body's used to, I wouldn't like change it a bunch. Um, on your trip, but I wouldn't be like, I'm going on a trip. I just started fasting two weeks ago. I guess I'll just keep doing that. Like I would make sure that's like a very dialed choice you're making. Um, I don't but, disagree, but, but devil's that's advocate. My, yeah. Devil's advocate. T- hear me out. I don't, overall, I can only think of very specific situations where this would be a good idea. So yeah, <laughs> if you're well adapted, maybe, however, think about your day-to-day life. If versus a are, fucking climbing trip. <laughs> yeah. If you're working nine to five and then you train somewhere in the afternoon and you're well adapted to that, it doesn't mean it's going to translate to you. When you're climbing climbing five plus hours a day. Correct. So maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Probably still no. Still probably a no for me, dog. Uh, unless. Yeah. yeah. So. 
there's that. Um, Caitlin, any any final things you want to tell the people before we wrap this thing up? I would just like to say that uh, this is something that I want you to think about. Remember, <laughs> it's not for everyone. And it's okay if it's not for you. Correct. Um, so I, I, yeah, I do want to say I do work with individuals on this particular topic. I think it's fun to talk about because a lot of times I think people have questions and they want to know if it's right for them. Mm-hmm. They want to know if it's safe, if it's something that could work. And I think it's helpful to have a team supporting you and who can offer help in a more evidence-based way without you having to really figure it out on your own through trial and error. So if it's something you're genuinely considering, I would highly encourage you to talk to someone who is educated in this topic, understands it. It doesn't have to be me. That's not why I'm saying this. But make sure you talk to someone who understands it, has the qualifications, and can guide you through it in a way based on you as a whole person. I would also add to this that if you're looking for like an intermittent fasting specific professional that's like, I'm good at doing this, make sure that as a professional, they don't say this always works for everyone. If they're like dogmatic about this, I would run. Immediately. (laughs) If they're like, this works for everyone, this will be perfect. I can get this to work for anyone. Maybe they're just really good and that's true, but also maybe they just like have a really dogmatic relief belief that is not going to serve you or be flexible enough for your needs spicy yeah that's Uh. (laughs) probably a person who (laughs) eats goji berries and kale only every day so we're gonna Uh, just yeah so no for me maybe not yeah look at someone that's like you know get someone that's like even keel about it at least you know cool okay well hopefully you all enjoyed our deeply researched um intermittent fasting episodes i hope you feel um as confused and conflicted (laughs) about it as we (laughs) do now now you can have nice complicated feelings about it yeah um, instead of simple ones (laughs) yay yeah um but yeah i think it's just like a you know fuck around test it out if you want to and if you don't feel like it that's fine it's not the holy grail um i think that's like been my takeaway from this that it's okay if you think it's not for you or maybe maybe it is but you just got to try and we don't have any hard research to tell you either way at this point so cool caitlin anything you want to tell the good people about before we sign off on this epic journey (laughs) i would like to let them know that i am about to start a new new sort of offer and that will be coming out um, hopefully in early October. So if you're curious, you want to work with me and you think it'd be helpful to work one-on-one with a nutritionist on your nutrition this fall, I would love to chat with you. So you can go ahead and schedule a free clarity call. We can touch base, see if it's for you. It's not not right for everybody. So there's no pressure (laughs) to sign up after the call, but I would love to work with you and to support you however I can. Um, So we'll make sure that goes in the show notes. Um, And I'm not going to say more because it's not released yet. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Nice. Um, let's see. On my end of things, I have some cool, fun stuff that'll be coming 
in November that I'm working on, which is fun. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Sends Giving, the group has just gotten started. I'm super Woo. amped. Woo! Yeah. Oh, gosh. We have such a good mix of people. We got like boulders, sport climbers, people going to Red Rocks, people going to the Red River Gorge, people going to Joe's. A lot of great trips I'm helping prep people for, which is tight. Um, and I'm excited. Nice. Yeah. So that's it for me um, on custom plans until November. Um, and as a heads up, y'all, listen. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I always good do good deals on custom plans in November around Black Friday timing. Um, and I'm going to be letting the people on the custom plan wait list know about that first and have first access to those spots. So if you are interested in working with me in November, December, um, or early 2024, this time of year, um, like November-ish time frame is when people get really good deals and kind of like set up their training for their winter training cycles or their 2024 training cycles. So yeah, a lot of people hit the ground running, get a good deal in November and hit the ground running in January. So if that sounds cool to you um, and you want some, you want a spot or you think you might want a spot, you want first dibs, you should get on the custom plan wait list and I will have that in the show notes. Um, otherwise, I think at the time this is being released, I'm getting ready to go to Europe. Um, and so I will be out of office for the first half of October. Don't bother me. I'm chilling. Leave, <laughs> uh, leave me alone. No, I'm just kidding. But I will, if you do like email me or DM me or something, I will get back to you like later. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what's up. Um, cool. All right, Caitlin. Shall we wrap it up and I say adios? Put, put Adios. The, close the case on intermittent fasting. All right, let's do it. Yes. Well, until next time, everyone, keep it <laughs> average. <laughs> that was our best one yet. Was <laughs> Lauren here. We hope you have some new perspectives as you gaze into the murky waters of intermittent fasting. Now, I'll close us out with some exciting announcements and our production credits. Have you ever wanted a simple and sustainable way of eating that makes you feel good? Have you craved a better relationship to the food you eat or wanted to feel stronger with more energy? Comprehensive Nutrition Coaching with Caitlin can help you achieve these results and confidently understand your needs. Everything from calorie awareness and meal planning to performance foods and habits that'll level up your climbing, that's the power of nutrition coaching. Caitlin's application is now open. Spots are still available, but maybe not for long. Apply today to secure your spot and transform your nutrition this fall. Ready to bring some consistency and purpose to your climbing sessions? Then check out the Good Spray suite of training plans. Whether you want a custom plan with support from me or you simply need a program to follow, Good Spray has you covered. You can learn all about Good Spray programs at www.goodsprayclimbing.com. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Good Spray Coaching and Caitlin on her Instagram over at Dirtbag Nutritionist. Editing for this episode was done by Josh Hafley. The music for this episode was created and produced by Devin Dabney. The Average Climber Podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com to learn more about the other great shows on the network.